Welcome to Directions in Rashi, a podcast that will help you understand individual comments from Rashi throughout the Chumash, and that will also introduce you to some of the general principles which I feel uh, directed Rashi in his creation of his commentary, and that will help us to understand his commentary better all around. Welcome. One of the most important and most easily noticeable features or principles of Rashi's commentary on the Torah is that he usually does not ask explicit questions. Generally speaking, Rashi tells us how to understand the Pasuk without explicitly raising any questions. Of course, we know, we know this, uh, we can find this out through our own investigation, and we certainly see it from the great super commentaries on Rashi, that Rashi really only made comments where he had certain questions about the text. But in most places, he expects you to find that question, and he simply tells you the answer. He tells you how to explain the Pusik so that those questions are not a problem. When, on occasion, Rashi explicitly raises questions that should raise our eyebrows. That is a sign of one of several possibilities. Very often it's a sign that Rashi's question, his explicit question is not really on the Pasuk itself. If the question would be on the Pasuk itself, Rashi would not write it out explicitly. He would expect us to find it ourselves. Rather, one of the reasons that Rashi sometimes writes a question explicitly is because his question is really on something that he himself has said. And that, in my humble opinion, he did not expect us to, to know the question on our own, so he writes it for us. Let's see an example of this phenomenon in Parsha Hazinu. The Shira of Hazinu begins as follows. Moshe Rabbeinu says, Hazinu Hashemayim va'adavera. Pay attention, O heavens, and I will speak. And the land will hear the sayings of my mouth. Okay, let's see Rashi. Hazinu Hashemayim says, Rashi, Shani Masrebehem li Yisrael. Listen, O heavens, because I am warning them, I am warning through them, Yisrael. I am giving a warning to Yisrael. And my warning is being conveyed or is being presented in front of the Shemayim. The Tiyu Edim Bidavar. And you, Shemayim, should be the witnesses to this matter that I am warning the Jews. Because so I said to them, Shatem Tiyu Edim, that you will be the witnesses. And Rashi says, and similarly, similarly, why does Moshe Rabbeinu say, Listen, O earth? Because he is warning the Kalal Yisrael that if they don't behave, certain unfortunate consequences will ensue. And when you give a warning, you appoint witnesses. Uh, we find this in, in Halacha, that, uh, for example, if a person is going to, if a person, in order for a person to be Chayef Misa, in order for a person to be, quote unquote, eligible for the death sentence by the earthly court, there have to be witnesses that see the person doing the sin, but there also has to be hasra'or. There has to be a warning. 
someone has to tell this person that watch out. If you do that, you're going to be subject to the death penalty. And there have to be witnesses to that warning. It could be the same two witnesses who are uh, observing the sin, but the point is there have to be witnesses to the warning. So here also, Moshe Rabbeinu is warning Klal Yisrael, and he is appointed as he is here appointing it as witnesses the Shemayim and the Oritz. Now Rashi asks here an explicit question: Let me put that in a different color in order to highlight it. Why did Moshe Rabbeinu specifically warn the Shemayim and the Oritz, the heavens and the earth? So Rashi gives an answer. Amar Moshe, Ani I'm only a flesh and blood. Tomorrow I'm going to die. As a matter of fact, as Rashi said at the beginning of Parshas Vayelach, we're talking here about the last day of Moshe Rabbeinu's life. So literally, tomorrow I'm going to die. So in Yomru Yisrael, if the Jews will say, we did not accept upon ourselves this covenant. Yes, uh, God made a covenant that if we don't behave, in this, this and this is going to happen, but we didn't accept it. So who is going to come and contradict them? I'm not going to be here anymore. Therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu made as witnesses upon them such witnesses that are kayam that are going to be around forever, the Shemayim and the Oritz. And also, Shem Yizko, if the Bnei Yisrael will be zeicha, if they will merit, if they will behave properly, if they will live up to the conditions of the bris, so then these witnesses will come and they will give their reward. And Rashi here quotes some sukim, the vines, the vineyards, the vineyard will give its fruit, and the earth will give its produce, and the heavens will give their due. If they will be chayav, if they will be found guilty of not living up to the covenant, so yad ha'edem bum So then, the hand of the witnesses will be upon them first. The witnesses themselves will begin the punishment, as it says in other psukim. It says, if you don't behave, Hashem will. Uh, uh, close off the heavens from giving their rain, the Adamolo Sitanes Yivullah, and the ground will not give forth its produce. Vashamayim Yitnu Talam, and the, um, these, these few words here seem to be out of place. Um, okay. In some uh, manuscripts, it says here they are not there. So let's not worry about these few words. And then afterwards, later, after, uh, in the second parsha of Kriyashma, after it says that uh, the, the heavens will be closed off and the ground will not give its produce. So then it says, you will be lost quickly from your land, from Eretz Yisrael. Rashi says, that will be done by the nations. But the beginning of the punishment will be through the Shemayim, and the Oretz. And that's why HaKadosh Baruch Hu chose the Shemayim of Oretz to be the Eden, because there is Halacha, Rashi's really quoting a Pasuk here, which we will see later. There's a Pasuk that says, Yad HaEdim Tiyabam Techila, that um, 
when a person is being given the death sentence in base den, so the Adem, the witnesses who testified that the person did this capital crime, they are the first to, uh, to throw the stone, so to speak. Yada Adem Tiyavam Tuchilo. Okay, so what we're going to focus on here at the beginning anyway is Rashi's explicit question, which is here highlighted in green. Rashi explicitly asks, Why did God choose the Shemayim Va'oritz to, to use as witnesses to the warning against Kla Yisrael? And Rashi gives his two very interesting answers. But the question is, Rashi should have just said that Hayid Behem Shemayim Va'oritz because because of these various reasons. Why does Rashi raise this as an explicit question? If one looks in the, the wonderful uh, super commentary, Maskell the David, one will see a, I think, a sufficient answer to this question. I'm going to answer a slightly different way. If we look at the very beginning of Rashi, Hazinu HaShemayim, Rashi says something that not, I do not think that all other commentators agree with. Rashi says, Shani Rashi is saying that what function does this serve to tell the heavens and the earth to listen? It serves the function of establishing them as witnesses to this warning. The Shemayim uh, is a witness to the warning and the Oretz is a witness to this warning. Not everyone agrees. Rabbeinu Sadyugain who, as I've explained before, did not actually write a commentary on the Chumash. What he did is translate the Chumash into Arabic, which was the vernacular of his time and place. The, uh, I don't, I can't read Arabic, but uh, in fairly recent times, it has been back translated into Hebrew. And we can see how Rabbein Osadi interpreted various psukim. Matter of fact, in this case, we don't even need the modern translation because Ibn Ezra quotes the Rabbeinu Sadia going on this particular point. Rabbi Sadia going says, Hazinu HaShemayim means Anshe HaShemayim, the people or the, the beings of Shemayim. In other words, the Malachim. Moshe Rabbeinu is calling upon the Malachim. V'sishma Ha'aretz, and then he says, and listen, O earth, he means the Anshe Ha'aretz, he means the inhabitants of the earth. Moshe Rabbeinu is calling upon the Malachim who occupy Shemayim, and he is calling upon the, the human beings who occupy the earth, and he is calling upon them at the beginning of his Shira. Now, it would appear that this is not a matter of Hasra'ah. Part of the reason I say that is because, according to Rashi, that it's Hasra'ah, there are some good explanations why HaKadosh Baruch Hu chose specifically the Shemayim and the Oritz to be his witnesses to this warning. But if you say it means the Malachim and all people, uh, that's an awful lot of witnesses to the, to the warning, and why exactly them? Secondly, if we look in the parish called the Tur HaAroich, the Rabbeinu Yaakov Balaturim, who wrote the, the Arbor Turim, the forerunner to the Shulchan Aruch, he also wrote a commentary, a commentary on the Chumash, 
which actually comes in two parts. One part we normally refer to as balaturim, which are little gematrias, little hints, which are printed in many, many chumashim. But that really is only a small part of a much greater work. He wrote a complete commentary on the whole Torah. And if we look here in the parish of the Surah Oruch, so on these words, he gives three explanations, three apparently separate explanations. He starts with uh, copying what Rabbi Sadi Yugain says. He says, Yesh Mefarshim, some explain, Hashemayim Hamalachim Shechne Shemayim. That Shemayim here refers to the Malachim who dwell in the Shemayim. Be'aretz, Yesh Ve'aretz. When it says Aretz, it, it refers to those who dwell on earth, meaning the humans who dwell on earth. And then he continues, Be'yesh Mefarshim, some say, Al Eidus Hamatar. He is referring here to the witness, to the testimony of the rain. Which comes from the heavens. Sounds like uh, Rashi's uh, second shot that um, he has chosen the Shemayim Va'oretz to be the witnesses to this um, to this breeze, to this uh, deal, and to this warning, because they are able to give the reward of the punishment themselves. And then he says, uh, it would it, the, what it would appear to be most proper is that it's referring to the Shemayim Ba'oritz themselves, etc. He gives three different Perushim. The first one is apparently Rabbeinu Sadia. The second one sounds like Rashi's second shot. And the third one, if we take a look at the third one, I cut that short a little bit. He says he wanted to be Lahoid Bidavar Hakayim Ba'imadoid. He says that the Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to be me'id, he wanted to give testimony uh, using something that is going to last forever. So that sounds like Rashi's first shot. So what do we see? The way the Balaturim sets it up, we have Rabbeinu Saji's shot, and then one shot from Rashi, and then a third shot from Rashi. They're not agreeing to each other. They're saying different things. So I don't think that according to Rabbeinu Sadia, the point of this Pasuk is that Moshe Rabbeinu is uh, Masre, he is warning the Klai Yisrael, and he is appointing as the witnesses to this warning, the heavens and the earth. Rather, I think what he is saying is something that I found in some of the Mephoshim, that it, this, is a, this is a way of speaking, this is a Melitza. What Moshe Rabbeinu was saying is, what I'm saying now is extremely, extremely important. It's something that all intelligent beings, both celestial and earthly, need to hear. It's something so important. I want the malachim to hear it. I want all of humanity to hear it. That's a way of saying this is very important. Now, Rashi, at the very beginning of his comment here, disagrees. Rashi establishes that no, the reason Moshe Rabbeinu is talking to the heavens and to the earth is because he is appointing them to be his witnesses. They're appointing them to be witnesses to his hasra, to his warning. I believe that on that, now Rashi asks on himself. In other words, I just said a chiddush. I just took a stance which, is, which others could disagree with, which perhaps he maybe even knew that others had disagreed with. But I'm going to 
So I'm going to question my stance. And by questioning it and giving a good answer, I'm going to defend my stance. The question is, why did Moshe Rabbeinu uh, appoint, as, appoint as witnesses to his warning, specifically the heavens and the earth? And this is something that Rashi very often does. If you'll pay attention, very, very often, where it looks like Rashi is asking an explicit question on the Pusik, no, what's really happening is, if you look at the first few words in Rashi, he is taking a certain stance, which others could disagree with, and with, with which Rashi knew that the Pusik could be explained in such a way. But Rashi took his stance, and then in order to strengthen it, he asks, he himself asks a question on himself, asks a question on his own explanation, on his own chiddush, on his own novel interpretation, in order to strengthen it by giving a good answer. And here he gives a very good answer. Uh, he gives two answers why Moshe Rabbeinu chose the Shemayim and the Arts. Uh, by the way, we should, I should mention that what is Rashi's proof to his stance? Why does Rashi take this stance? that uh, the reason uh, Moshe Rabbeinu was talking here to the Shemayim and the Oris is because he is uh, using them as witnesses to his, to his words and his warning to Kalei Yisrael. Uh, the, the proof to Rashi, I think, is very good. Because if you look at the end of last week's Parsha, Parsha's Vayelech, in chapter 31, Pasuk Chavches, it says, Hakilo Elias kol shivtechem v'shoitrechem. Uh, gather to me all of the elders of your tribes and all of your shaitrim, all of your uh, police force, and I will speak in their ears, these words, meaning the shira that he's about to say, and I will testify against them, the heavens and the earth. So Rashi saw already at the end of last week's parsha that Moshe Rabbeinu is going to use the Shemayim Va'oritz as witnesses to what he is going to say in the Shira. So Rashi uh, simply is really, he's, he's saying a Chiddush, but it's not a very great Chiddush. It's a Chiddush which has very good support. Rashi understood that here, when Moshe Rabbeinu uh, turns directly to the Shemayim and the Oritz and he speaks to them, the purpose is to make them the witnesses to what he is saying. Okay. That's, as I like to say, a technical point. Why does Rashi explicitly write this question? I'd like to examine a little bit Rashi's second answer. His first answer is that Moshe Rabbeinu chose the Shemayim Ba'aretz to be the witnesses because they last forever and no one can ever come and say that uh, it, it never happened. And then Rashi says, the second answer, Ba'od, let's read it one more, at least part of it one more time. Because if the Klai Yisrael will be Zaycha, if they will merit, and if they will do the right thing, so that these witnesses, the Shemayim Va'aretz, they will come and they will give their reward, the crops will grow properly, and the, the, the heavens will give their dew and their rain and so forth. And if the Jewish nation will, will be found guilty of not living up to the terms, so then so then the hand of the witnesses will be upon them first, because the Kodesh Baruch will close off the heavens and the earth will not give his prados. 
and so on. This question I'd like to raise is, so, so what exactly is Rashi saying here? Why is it so important that the witnesses themselves should deliver the punishment? What would be, what would be uh, lacking? What would be so bad if, let's say, uh, Kodesh Baruch Hu appointed the Shemayim Ba'oretz to be the witnesses to this covenant, but the punishment would come by plague, by by, uh, I don't know, uh, by spontaneous combustion of uh, people's homes and bodies, God forbid. What, what, would be, what would be missing if the punishment and the reward would come from some other source other than the Shemayim Barat? So what would be if the uh, if HaKadosh Baruch Hu would have uh, appointed uh, just the Oritz as the witness? Uh, but then, but then the, and the punishment would come from the Shemayim, who were not witnesses. Why exactly does it have to be that the witnesses to the bris, they are the ones who are going to give the punishment? I mean, is this just uh, poetic justice? I think Rashi really hints at the answer himself, in part, because Rashi quotes a Pusik. He doesn't just say this as a, as a svara, as a piece of independent rationale. He quotes a verse in the Torah, Yada Edem Tia Bum, or Tia, really the Pusik says, Yada Edem Tia Bo, Verishoina. Here's the Pusik. In Parsha Shoiftim, it's talking about someone who has uh, done the sin of Abayda Zara, of idolatry, and he has been witnessed. And there are various uh, conditions in order for this testimony to be fully acceptable. But the Pusik says, the hand of the witnesses shall be upon this person first to kill him. The Adem, the witnesses, they have to first attempt to kill him according to the rules of how Bastin puts a person to death. And then if that doesn't work, then the hand of all the nations at the of all the nation at the end. If let's say uh, they're giving him skila, so the first part of skila is he's pushed off a platform. If that and and then they they uh, they drop a big rock on top of him. If that doesn't work at the hands of the Adam, so then the other people come and they finish it off. and you will uh, remove the evil from your midst. So this is a this is a mitzvah in the Torah. This is a halacha. Now, what's the reason for this halacha? So there's a Svasemes actually in this week's parsha in Hazinu who explains a tam for this mitzvah of Yada Edim Tiyavai Barishayna. I'll read a few words. The Svasemes says, Uposhet Hatam Yada Edim Barishayna. It's simple that the reason for this mitzvah of Yada Edim Barishayna is as follows. Shekain Sorach Liyais, because this is how it needs to be. Shalo Yuchal Odom Liyrois Dvaraveva that a person should not be able to see a sin. It's better off not to see any sins. And if you did see a sin, that, that's not good for you. You need to somehow now excise it. Even though you didn't do it, you just saw it. And therefore, the witnesses who saw this sin of Abayda Zoro or some other sin, they are the ones who need to stone this person. Now, of course, we're talking where all the, all the very difficult conditions, 
have been met. And it's not, it's not a common occurrence that the, that the death penalty is actually administered. But in those cases where all the conditions are met and all of the details have been fulfilled, so then who needs to do it? Who needs to kill these, this person who served idolatry? The best person to do it is the, the Adem themselves because they have had the mis misfortune of witnessing a sin. That's not good for them. Now he says, now he's referring to Parshish Hazinu, and similarly, nature, the Shemayim, the Oretz, cannot last, cannot exist, if the will of God is not done. What I think he's saying is, just like, and we'll explain this more a little bit, but just like it is injurious to a person to witness a sin, and the person must destroy that sin in order for it to no longer be a virus in his soul. Similarly, the world as a whole, the, the, the natural world, the Shemayim and the Oretz, there's, there's some kilkel, there is some, some mis dysfunction that is caused to the world when there are sins in the world. And if it gets to a certain point, it's the Shemayim and the Oretz who have to punish the sinner in order to biarta haromi kabecha, to remove the evil. I think we can understand this in part based on a very well-known Rashi in Parshas Nasai. In Parshas Nasai, Rashi points out there is a juxtaposition between two very interesting mitzvahs. The first one is the mitzvah of Saita, of an unfaithful wife uh, we're not going to go through the details now, but it talks about a procedure for uh, clarifying that a wife truly was unfaithful to her husband, where he did not have uh, complete evidence. He had some indications, some uh, reason to believe that she was unfaithful to him, but it was not proven by witnesses. So there is a procedure in the Torah to clarify. And there is a most dramatic and terrible punishment, a supernatural punishment that will occur to the woman. If, again, if all of the proper conditions have been met. That's Parsha number one. And then the Torah immediately goes into the Parsha of Nazir, of the Nazarite, who is a holy person who has made a vow not to drink wine and not to, uh, be, not to come in contact with dead bodies and to allow his hair to grow, not to be too concerned about his appearance or her appearance. And so Rashi seemed to be bothered. This is how many of the commentators explain it. He seemed to be bothered about the juxtaposition. You know, on the one hand, you have the, uh, the sight of it. She blows up. She's destroyed for her sin in a very dramatic fashion. And the next thing is you're talking about this very holy person, the Nazir. So Rashi says, Lama parshas Nazir, the parshas Saita. Why is the, the chapter of Nazir juxtaposed to the chapter about the Saita? Whoever sees a Saita, whoever sees this unfaithful wife, in her denigration, in her, in her terrible punishment, and there are certain parts of the procedure which, um, which show a certain disrespect to her. So whoever sees that, such a person should vow not to drink wine for at least a period of time. 
Shehu mevi leideniof, because wine brings to immorality. Now, many of the, the Balei Musar raise the question that seems to be counterintuitive. Imagine a person that was, uh, was uh, in the base of Mikdash and he witnessed a sota, she drinks a certain uh, cup of water, it's really just regular water, and she blows up, and that's the proof that she has been unfaithful and she dies a horrific death. It's miraculous. We would say such a person would, 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 would presumably uh, learn a lesson that it, the crime doesn't pay. It doesn't pay to engage in immorality. And yet we tell that person, you watch the Saita in her destruction, in her ultimate disgrace, you, Davka you, you have to, you have to abstain from wine. A good idea for you is to not, not drink wine for a while. Train yourself not to get involved in too much drinking because drinking brings to immorality. Seems like just the opposite. But what the, what's, what the Balei Musa explained is that seeing the reality of a soita, even in her destruction and in her disgrace, but it makes the sin real. Up until now, this person may have heard of immorality. He knows there's a possibility. He has a Yetzirah like everybody else for immorality. But to actually know that people do it, how does he know? He knows what, what, what people are doing in private. He doesn't really know. It's all in the theoretical. But now he knows. Now he's seen it. And that is not good for him. That, that's dangerous. That's not, that's not good for your soul. And therefore, that person has to take special measures to keep himself extra far away from anything that might cause immorality. And similarly, it could be that that's a little bit what the Svasemis is saying. The Shemayim Va'aretz have been appointed by, by HaKadosh Baruch Hu to be witnesses to the covenant that he is making with us. If they witness that we have sinned, that's not good for the Shemayim Va'aretz. As the, as the, as the Svasemis says, Ateva eno yochol lehizkayim kishein nasir etzena shalmokam. The Teva nature cannot last, cannot exist when the will of God is not done there. It's injurious to, the, to nature. Nature is degraded when people sin. That, that, that would indicate that nature today is somewhat degraded, maybe very much degraded from where it should really be. Uh, there are those who say that, uh, that you know, it must be that... Uh, uh, certain forms of immorality are uh, just natural amongst human beings because you see the animals do it too. Of course, after, after having said what we just said, it's maybe just the opposite. If the human beings would behave the way human beings are supposed to behave, then the animal world, the nature would behave the way it's supposed to behave. The reason the animals are engaging in certain forms of immorality is because the, the people are doing it. Anyway, that could be perhaps why um, the Shemayim and the Oretz, they have to be the ones who are the witnesses to this, to this breeze, and they ha therefore have to be the ones who are going to 
administer the punishment if it is necessary. And perhaps that's how we can um, understand this Pusik. We can understand the end of this Pusik, both in terms of human witnesses and in terms of the Shemayim Ba'oritz. Yada edim the hand of the witnesses shall be uh, first upon the guilty party to kill him. Yad and then the hands of everyone else, if necessary. means you will excise the evil from within yourself. The simple meaning is you shall excise this evil person from the nation, from the world. But I think perhaps it also means you shall excise this, the evil influence that you have suffered by witnessing the sin, you shall excise it by you, the witnesses, being the first to deliver the punishment. That applies both to human witnesses and it applies here also, according to Rashi, I think it applies to the, the witness that was uh, performed, the service that was performed by the Shemayim and the Oritz.